the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to shift gears here a little bit and talk about uh, something a little different with the uh, professor uh, at uh, Emory University and author of a new book called Redefining Geek, Bias and the uh, Five Hidden Habits of Tech-Savvy Teens. Her name is uh, Cassidy Puckett. She joins me by phone. Good morning, Cassidy. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, now, you said five hidden habits of tech-savvy teens. Is that different than bad habits? <laughs> These are hidden because we don't typically think that being good with technology is, is something that you learn and develop over time with the use of some some key habits. And what about and and what about bias? Um do teens have uh, a particular bias and and what is it? So the word bias that I use in the title is there because we we have some ideas, we have some stereotypes about who is good with technology and why. And typically, we think of people um, like Steve Jobs. I've, I've even seen, you know, uh, technology teachers in their classrooms telling kids to think of, of people who are typically white and male and Asian, perhaps, um, a little bit more affluent, and then there's this idea that people are either good with technology or they're not, and so that sort of generates this this bias in terms of who we think of when we think of, you know, who who's the tech-savvy person, and that gets in the way of everybody else who might have um, some hidden talents that we don't see that, that keeps them from... Um, you know, participating in our uh, technological world, and it kind of hurts everyone um, because we miss out on their their innovative ideas. Well, and and the other thing too is is we have expectations on some groups of people 
um, when we stereotype that they may not be able to live up to this the idea that all Asians are good with computers or good with math um, that all old exactly. people are not good with exactly. uh, computers um, yes it, it's you know we have these uh, you know preconceived notions what did you um, if we're to redefine geek, what what is the stereotypical defini- definition and what should we be redefining it as? Yeah, so, so like um, we've been talking about, the stereotypical definition is usually white and male and affluent and, and young. Um, of course, lots of people who are now older actually made the technological systems that we are using. Um, so that's a little silly. And, and, and women and people of color were technologists from the very beginning. So we're just kind of forgetting that those people um, are, are already in our technological history. Um, so one of the things, so I was actually teaching in a middle school in Oakland, California, where my students did not um, match these stereotypes that we have today. Um, and they were, they were mostly Latinx um, from immigrant families, low-income families. Um, many of them, one year it was all girls in my class. And I saw that they, some of them picked up um, technology really easily while others struggled a little bit more, but they were all willing to, you know, be a part of it and to learn. And so I went to, this was in the early 2000s, and I said, okay, so, you know, there must be somebody out there who can tell me as a teacher sort of what are the standards, like what should I be teaching my students? And so I went and I looked, and I found a lot of things, (laughs) Um, a lot of different ideas about um, what kinds of things kids should be able to, you know, know and be able to do. But none of them focused on the process of learning, even though we know technology always changes. So if you're really good at one thing, the next week you might not be so good at it or you might not be good at the next thing. If you know PowerPoint, you might not be able to code, for example. You know what's funny about that, (laughs) Cassidy? I think back to, you know, when I was younger and my peers were going to college and some of them were studying, uh, you know, they were getting degrees in computer science. And this was like in the mid to late 70s and early 80s. And, you know, I'm trying to think, what were they being taught then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not the same as, it, as what they're being taught now. It's not even, the, yeah, it's not even close no. to the same. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the key thing. And and people who are are in tech fields who are really good with technology, they know this. They're constantly learning. They know that their skills are going to be um, obsolete. And so if they want to be skillful and continue to be that way, they continue to learn. So that's what I, that's what I focused on. And I said, okay, so, um, you know, how should I go about figuring this out? 
I want to go where the kids are learning and, you know, are successfully learning. And so I went to some award-winning programs across the country that are providing some really excellent technology education. They might not be uh, treated as our sort of technological um, education infrastructure, but they're definitely serving in uh, in that way for at least a a portion of the kids in the country. Um, And I learned a lot from from those tech-savvy kids in those programs. When I was a a kid um, going to school, there was this this thing you you always wanted to sit at the cool kids table and geeks and nerds weren't allowed but now here we are 30 40 years later are are, are the geeks and nerds is their table the cool table now <laughs> well that i'm not sure but definitely our ideas about um, technologies have changed. Um, if we think about, you know, who who we thought of as being appropriately sort of matched with technology and technological activity, well, you know, back in the day, a lot of it was vocational education, right? Those are the kids who were thought of as like not going to college, and so they um, needed to learn hands-on training and um, we're, we're doing the more, you know, things that we might think of as the vocational technological activities. Well, some of those activities haven't really changed that much, but now we're using, you know, computers and, and viewing certain forms of technological activity as more academic. Um, of course, there's been a, a big shift in, in, in the jobs and how people get paid. And so we're kind of, um, but but still, there are computers and cars, right? <laughs> and so I think that these distinctions are a way of um, keeping keeping people in their place. Uh, so you know, the lower income kids they go into the more vocational forms of technology education, and the more affluent kids they they get the prize of the. Um, better, you know, higher valued forms of, of technology use, even though a lot of these, you know, skills are quite similar. Um, so that's one of the things that we have to watch out for is, is these kinds of um, social reproduction things that, that continue to happen. So how I went about addressing that was to study what tech-savvy teens do as they learn new technologies, and I found out that it's actually these five hidden habits, these five learning habits that help them to um, uh, during the learning process. Ooh, I definitely want to get into those. Um, you know, <laughs> I know. I always want to share them right away. <laughs> well, I and, and I want I want to hold out till after the break on on those, but um, yeah. But I did want to ask. Um, because I've been talking with people about it quite a bit lately, as we consider what the new normal is going to be in terms of uh, the workforce and and so on in in the wake of the the pandemic, 
Yeah. And, and, and I wanted to talk about some of the things like, and, and I always credit um, Andrew Yang with this, although a lot of people have been talking about it. He just happened to be the first one that I heard bring it up, talking about um, universal basic income because uh, technology and artificial intelligence was going to suck up all the jobs and humans were going to need a way to pay their bills and that he thought there should be a big change in the economy and i've talked to some people who feel that way some people will say no i don't think so um where where are you on all that is is um are are the robots going to take over the world Well, you know, there are things that robots for sure can do, and it's without a doubt they've replaced quite a number of jobs. But there are lots of things that robots definitely can't do, but we still need those technological skills in order to um, interact with and use those and develop those technologies so that they're not introducing more problems than the ones that they're trying to solve, right? And the way that I look at it is that everybody needs to participate in this because if we only have a very narrow portion of the population participating in our technological future, then, you know, only their interests are at the table. And, of course, in a democracy, we know that that's a bad thing. Um, That's, you know, foundational to the ways that our country functions is to make sure that everyone is at the table. It is the reason that we have education in this country is that we believe in democratic equality, or at least we aspire to it, right? And so we try to make sure that everyone has a basic level of literacy. I would argue that this these habits are foundational to participation in the 21st century. And so I would say, you know, yes, we always have to stay on top of, um, you know, what what technology can do to society to for the worse. Um, and one of the ways is to make sure that everybody um, understands it um, and can participate and can shape our technological systems. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that the robots don't take over as long as we all have those skills. Well, and I, I mentioned that I do want to talk about these uh, five hidden habits, and I have to take a short break, and I'm hoping that you'll stick around so we can talk some more. Absolutely. My guest is uh, Cassidy Puckett. She is professor at Emory University and author of Redefining Geek, Bias and the Five Hidden Habits of Tech-Savvy Teens. And we're going to explore some of those hidden habits. And, and uh, Cassidy, be thinking about this, because I'll come right out of the shoot with, um, do these things develop organically, or are they part of a uh, discipline that people should mm-hmm. and can learn? In the meantime, if you're listening to us on WFOV, Our Voices Radio, uh, 92.1 LPFM Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. 
If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner Program and my guest this hour, Cassidy Puckett, right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. 
And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with Cassidy Puckett, professor at Emory University and author of Redefining Geek, who joins me by phone. And Cassidy, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no, this is great. Thank you for having me. Now, I mentioned um, before we went to break, the title of the book is Redefining Geek. Bias and the Five Hidden Habits of Tech-Savvy Teens. And uh, we were going to talk about the uh, Five Hidden Habits, but I also want to talk about, uh, as, as people are reading this book, are these things that, that develop sort of organically, or are they things that, that people can strive, are they habits people can try to develop? These are absolutely things that people can develop. And in the book, I describe the ways that award-winning technology um, programs all across the country, how they work to develop these habits in kids. It's definitely something you can learn, and it takes practice. Um, and so, yes, absolutely can be, can be cultivated. Well, there are a lot of people who think that it's hard to teach teens uh habits what are some of these habits that they that they seem to take to yeah so there are five of course as in the title of the book um three of them are um habits that are general ones that i describe what they look like when learning um technology so those three general habits are a willingness to try and fail management of frustration and boredom, and then using models, um, so information and people um, during the learning process. The other two habits are technology specific. So those two are what I call design logic. So that's thinking about why is the technology designed the way that it is and how does that relate to your own goal, what you would like to do with that technology? So that's design logic. And then the other technology-specific habit is something I call efficiencies. And that's um, looking for and using faster uh, uh, ways of using technology, things like keyboard commands. Not everybody knows um, to look for keyboard commands, that it can make the learning process and your technology use much faster. It can also signal to other people that you kind of know what you're doing. And um, those two technology-specific habits do take some explanation. Um, you know, a lot of keyboard commands are not, um, you know, just apparent, um, and, and they're not things that, that uh, you might know unless you actually 
read a um, a manual or um, you find these out from friends. So those are a little bit trickier to to gain access to. Do um, how are teens about about reading the manual and and doing the homework or? Um, are, are they pretty good about that, or do they just do trial and error? Well, trial and error is, uh, you know, that, that willingness to try and fail is a part of the learning process, and so that is fine. Um, the problem is when you try something out and then you think, oh, well, I failed, so I'm not good at it, right? <laughs> and that will keep you from seeking out those kinds of things. And, you know, the other part of it is if you don't get told that you have to look for shortcuts, you might think, oh, well, you know, everybody's good at it and I'm just not, right? And so you need to be explicitly told, like, well, you just need to, to figure out those tricks. And um, sometimes it's a matter of going to a friend. Um, sometimes it's a matter of going to a, um, a teacher or a parent. And sometimes it's a matter of digging for them online. Um, and so those are all, you know, good ways. So it's not just the manual, but, but having different ways of, of seeking out um, that information. I remember uh, Mary Higgins Clark, the mystery writer who passed away a few years ago. She was on my show several times, and, and she was always telling me that she had her... Um, her son or her grandson, somebody was typing things for her on the computer. And she said, I'm, I'm not very good with technology. And yet I would look at some of her books and there would be elements of technology in it. And I said, Mary, how can you, you know, how can you write about technology if you're not very good at it? And she said, I got a guy. <laughs> and I thought yeah. that was and I thought that was brilliant and I, I I can't tell you how many people I've inadvertently said how did you learn to do that and they say YouTube yeah yeah but I don't think that everybody knows that that means that you're good with technology that you are um, seeking these things out that you're constantly utilizing resources that it's is and it's a process. It's not just a one, like one and done, <laughs> right? Yeah. Did the pandemic completely change the whole demographic of people who are at least comfortable with technology? You know, I don't think we know. Um, one of the things that I really wish that we, that had happened was to see, I mean, it's, you know, it's been a real struggle for everybody when we were all online. And um, I think a lot of issues of, of just basic levels of access and reliable internet service, for example, came to the, to the forefront. Um, one thing that I, I really wish had been more emphasized was that this was an opportunity to um, think about our, our technology skills, right? So we've got a whole bunch of people online. We've got an opportunity to do things a little bit differently and to take advantage of that opportunity to develop things like learning habits around technologies. I don't know if that really was, was the case. Um, I think that there was a lot of concern about falling behind on standardized testing, 
Um, and so I don't know that we necessarily got that opportunity, but we, I think the answer is we really, we really don't know. Um, I just, uh, I just think yeah. it was, it was kind of amazing to see people who never would, you know, who, who would have said six months before the pandemic, they didn't even know how to turn on a computer. And then they're right. having zoom calls with their grandchildren. Right. And, and I think, right. I, I, I think there's a, um more of an acceptance by people who weren't born into being tech savvy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, there, there is a opportunity as we move forward to say, all right, so if we gain some skills, how can we continue to, you know, keep those skills to get better and to continue to participate um, in our technological futures. The um, now the the book redefining geek. Um, how did what what made you think it was um, a, a good idea to do this book? Is there are are there things in it that tech savvy teens don't already have a handle on, or is this? Uh, a model for the rest of us? Yeah, so that's a great <laughs> question. That's a great question. So I wanted to know, because I saw in my technology classroom that there were differences, even among kids who were born in the digital age, that some of them, you know, struggled and some of them did really well. And so I wanted to understand those differences. Once I, I, I you know, identified these five habits I thought, okay, I need a good measure that can help me to see how these habits vary across a, a wider sample of, of teens. So I developed something that I call the Digital Adaptability Scale. It's 15 items, and it asks about the habits, it takes about five minutes to fill out, and um, that measure, I used it um, and I asked a, a, a big group in, in Chicago, 897 students in 27 schools, um, to tell me about their habits and some of the things that might, you know, potentially explain differences in these habits. And I, you know, I looked at um, differences by race, ethnicity, um, socioeconomic um, status or social class and gender. And one of the things that I found by doing that was that there were no significant differences in these habits by race, um, ethnicity, and um, socioeconomic status. And that's very different from narratives about the digital divide where lower income people, for example, yeah. might be assumed yeah, to have less access and less skills. Um, my research suggests that those groups actually are talented and that maybe they're not being recognized for that talent. And then, you know, so that suggests that we might not have a pipeline, as much of a pipeline problem as we were thinking, but more of like a gatekeeping problem where people's talents aren't being recognized and, and cultivated. Um, and so that complicates the, the digital divide narrative. 
How would we? How hand, would we change oh, yeah, that? How would we do that differently? Yeah. So one of the things that I recommend in the book is is simply, you know, doing away with our ideas about these stereotypes about who's good with technology, and instead not assuming anything about kids and just asking them. So using that measure, the digital adaptability scale, to see, okay, so what kinds of habits does this kid, you know, has this kid developed and which ones do they need a little bit more help with? And then if they are ready, giving them, you know, new challenges, if they have a a nice, robust set of habits, they're ready for a lot more than maybe people assume. And, and so just, you know, being curious, not assuming anything and, and observing their technology learning habits as like the first step. You know, Cassidy, I want to ask you something that's a little bit off topic and, and I, I can't stop thinking about it. You were teaching in Southern California and now you're in Chicago. How did you end up going from California to Chicago? People usually go the other way. <laughs> so I am I'm actually in Atlanta at this point, but I did go from California oh, really? to Chicago um, and then back to the East Coast. Um, so California was where I went. I, I actually worked in an AmeriCorps job just after college, and I loved um, uh, the kinds of innovative things that were happening with educators um, where I was, and so I was, you know, working in the school called Urban Promise Academy. I realized that I didn't know certain things. I wanted an opportunity to study um, the things that I'm that I am, uh, you know, that that are all in this book. And so I went to graduate school at Northwestern um, in Evanston, so just outside of Chicago, and okay. that's how I ended up there. Yeah, yeah. And did you move then to Atlanta for work, or are you just... uh... Yes. Yes. So then I um, took a job as um, an assistant professor of sociology um, here in Atlanta, where now I get to, you know, write about the things that I found in my studies, and I get to teach um, things like a digital inequality class and um, share my work and, and grow the next generation of researchers. Now, I, I had somebody on the show a while back, and, um, and I'm so terrible with names, Cassidy, I can't remember her, her name or the title of the book, but I was so blown away by the content. She was talking about how people of color weren't involved in the development of programming. So when systems would come out, they were already behind. Well, that is a more recent um, history, actually. And, you know, and there you are... know the book I'm talking about? Um, you know, I'm not sure. It might be Algorithms of Oppression, perhaps, Sophia um, Noble. Who? Sophia Noble? No, that sounded familiar, no? but, but that's <laughs> Any Anyway, I thought it might yeah. come to you. The last time I brought it up, somebody went, oh, Ruha Benjamin's book. 
Yes, yes. She also has. Um, Are you uh, familiar with her? And, a, a couple and that of book? books out. Yes, yes. Well, she really yeah, opened so, my eyes to the fact that even though um, a lot of people of color are being drawn to the technology that's available um, in, a, in a retail sense, but in a creating and development sense, they haven't. And she was talking about how this has impacted things like facial recognition and so on. Yes, yes. Yes, exactly. And and like I was saying, that's a that's a recent history, but there's also a book and I encourage you to, to take a look called Black Software. Um, Charles McEwen. Um, he talks about how there were black technologists in the very early days of computing and um, and you know, who were who were participating in and developing um, software. And so those kinds of histories are often not talked about, but they were actually, you know, pushed out of certain technology roles, which leads to um, Dr. Benjamin's work and Dr. Noble's work on the ways that the technologies today get used to police black and brown communities, um, largely because of these biases in who we think has these skills and yes, in their access to more advanced um, training, but even people who have advanced training, there's, there's new research that's coming out of places like Stanford that shows that, you know, black Latinx um, folks who graduate from um, computer with computer science degrees, for example, they don't get hired at the same rate as white and Asian males and more affluent males do into technology fields. And so the, the technologies that get developed, you know, they, they have a very small segment of the population, their interests in mind. Um, and that's why we see a lot of these problems that we are now trying to um, correct. So absolutely, absolutely. Cassidy, is this your first book? Yes, it is. It is my first book. <laughs> well, that begs the question, have you got the bug? Is there another book coming down the pike? Yes. So right now I am doing research on the kinds of technologies that we use for healthcare, um, specifically teens and, and um, people with um, diabetes, the kinds of technologies that they use to manage their health and the kinds of biases that we see with um, who gets to use the, the technologies and, and why. Um, so that's the next book, is looking at these kinds of issues with assumptions around who's tech savvy and then how that gets translated into, um, into healthcare and, and people's long-term health outcomes. Well, this is fascinating. And, um you know, I was teasing a little bit about the uh, about the book and and the biases and hidden habits and so on. But this is really an interesting subject: uh, redefining geek bias and the five hidden habits of tech savvy teens. It's on uh, Chicago University Press. Came out in April of 2022 by Assistant Professor of Sociology Cassidy Puckett 
who uh, has been with me by phone. Cassidy, I, um, I, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website that you could share? Yes. So that website is CassidyPuckett.com. That's C-A-S-S-I-D-Y-P-U-C-K-E-T-T dot com. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with me and the listeners this morning and sharing your uh, your observations uh, both here and in the book. And keep up the good work. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye. That was, uh, again, um, Cassidy Puckett, professor at Emory uh, University and author of Redefining Geek. And uh, we're going to have um, more of the Tom Sumner program coming up in uh, just a couple of minutes. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, Superman! Transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. The Tom Summer Program.com. Maybe, but it's a world.
And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. 
It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. what was making the factory go it was IBM it was Univac it was all those gears going clickety-clack dear I thought automation was keen till you were replaced by a ten-ton machine it was that computer tore us apart dear automation broke my heart there's an RCA 503 standing next to me dear where you used to be doesn't have your smile doesn't have your shape just a bunch of punch cards and light bulbs and tape dear you're a girl who's soft warm and sweet but you're only human and that's obsolete though I'm very fond of that new 503 Automation's not for me It was automation, I'm told That's why I got fired and I'm out in the cold How could I have known when the 503 Started in to blink, it was winking at me, dear. 
thought it was just some mishap when it sidled over and sat on my lap but when it said I love you and gave me a hug dear that's when I pulled out it's plugged <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
And your heart will fly on wings forever it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. My mic just fell over. Anyway, uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Armchair Politics. Tomorrow is Wednesday, and Wednesday means Armchair Politics, but I hope you enjoyed the guests we had today. I know I sure did, uh, starting with this past hour with uh, Cassidy Puckett, author of Redefining Geek, Bias, and the Five Hidden Habits of Tech-Savvy Teens. And uh, and before that, an encore from a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, I think, uh, was Serhii Plohi, uh, a Ukrainian uh, educator and author who, who really wrote the book on Chernobyl. And uh, I, I had someone scheduled that didn't work out, so I thought, well, Chernobyl and Ukraine's been in the news a lot lately, so it seemed kind of appropriate to pull that one out but we started out this morning with landmark cases that prompted groundbreaking medical innovations from a new book called first patients the incredible true true stories of pioneer patients by internist and author rod tanchenko anyway that's smoking george winters tickling the ivories told me it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but i'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the tom sumner program bernie sanders assistant the campaign director is going to be on tomorrow before to uh, armchair politics anyway in the meantime good night everybody and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.